0: You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com.
1: Okay, if you guys want to head back to your seats, grab a pastry or some coffee on your way. Thanks for greeting one another. On your way, if you want to open in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. That's what we will be. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And if you do not own a Bible or have one with you, we have some hardback black Bibles over on the table there. Megan, do you want to hold one up for everyone to show? Look at that. Thank you. Feel free to go grab one if you want one. Uh, You're on page 976 in those pew Bibles. So if you want to use one, 976. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And we're going to continue in our Ephesians series today. So we've been working our way through Ephesians. Some preachers paused their series on Easter. Fortunately for us, today's text is a great Easter text. We just thought we're going to continue the series. And the series is called Foundations of Faith from Death to Life in the Book of Ephesians. And today's passage is actually where we get that language of death to life from. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, there's a lot of movies and television shows lately about zombies, right? You've probably seen one of them or at least heard of them. They're sometimes called the walking dead. And that's a good picture of our spiritual state, walking dead. Well, if you could somehow insert yourself into one of those stories, and if you had a solution for that problem to help someone go from walking dead to truly alive, not just dead men walking, but alive, wouldn't that be great news? Wouldn't they welcome that news? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Death to life in the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles open to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word if you're able. <clears throat> when I finish reading this passage, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, an acknowledgement of what we just read. This is God's word, self-revelation to us. And I'll just invite you to respond by saying thanks be to God, in acknowledgement of our gratitude for the gift of this word. And here's what it says. And you were dead And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, you. you guys can grab a seat. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift it is to us as your people. And here on this Easter morning, uh, we want to see clearly why we've gathered, what it means that Jesus rose again, and what it means for us, how we can go from death to life. And so help us see, by your Spirit, would you open our eyes that we'd behold the wondrous things found here in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Did you know that there's a tradition of telling jokes on Easter? In fact, there are some Christian traditions that required their clergy to include a joke as part of their sermon on Easter. The reason is because some early church fathers talked about the resurrection of Jesus like God's great um, practical joke on the devil. God conquered the devil, death, and sin— Satan thought he was going to win. He thought he was putting God into the grave. And what he did not know is that God was going to come out of that grave. And so, because today is a day of joy and celebration and victory, Christians would tell jokes on Easter. In fact, all week long they'd tell jokes and pull practical jokes on one another. It was like the original April Fool's Day or something. Uh, So today I looked for a joke to tell you all. Uh, So here's the funniest one I found that I can actually tell you from the pulpit. Okay? (laughs) So a man his wife and his cranky mother-in-law went to the Holy Land for a vacation. And while they were there, his mother-in-law died. And so he was presented with two options of what he could do. And so he could either ship her body back for $5,000 to the States to be buried here, or for $150, he could have her body buried there in the Holy Land. And so he thought about it, and he said, let's let's ship her body back. And somebody responded, said, "Are, are you kidding me? Like, you know, $5,000 or you could pay $150 to have her buried here in the Holy Land. What a a wonderful place. Wouldn't you want her buried here? And he said, well, 2,000 years ago, someone died here. They were buried here. And they came back from the dead. I'm not taking any chances. Now, when you tell a joke about a mother-in-law, I feel the need to give this disclaimer. I love my mother-in-law. She's a wonderful woman. (laughs) Kathy, if you listen to this, right? I love you. You're great. But we tell jokes... To remind us, even this little laughter is a reminder of the joy that we have at Easter. Now, granted, this laughter is a bit trite, right? It's a shabby substitute for the deep and abiding joy that there is in the resurrection of Jesus. But it's a reminder of the joy that we can have. And sometimes on Easter, it can be a bit stodgy. We can be a bit serious. And I actually um, read about this joke telling from a non-Christian from an article that he wrote about the telling of jokes on Easter. And it, it leads me to kind of ask this question for us, his report of Easter and his experience and what we're after today. And it's just the question i ask is, why does the resurrection matter? That's what I want to answer today. Here's the question. Why does the resurrection matter? And what does it have to do with us? Because this non-Christian that wrote this article, he opened his article by saying that Easter has meant very little to him. But for Christians, it's serious business. Now, he said he's thankful that he gets extra candy and chocolate eggs on Easter, but beyond that, he said he just doesn't really care. And there are some of you in this room this morning who probably have had similar feelings as you got up this morning. You woke up and you got your coffee, maybe you hid some Easter eggs for your kids or wished you were young enough to still look for Easter eggs filled with candy, just skipped the eggs altogether and just ate the candy, whatever it was. But as you started to get ready, you may have had thoughts to yourself, why am I going today? What's the point of Easter? What are we doing together? And so my outline today is an answer to that question. And I have three points. The first is the reason for the resurrection. The second, our response to the resurrection. And third, the results of the resurrection. Okay. The first point is the reason for the resurrection. And here we really will not understand Why Easter is such a big deal? Why it matters so much if we do not understand our need for God to have come and rescued us? In my undergraduate studies, I took a class called Anthropology, and this is a whole discipline of study all about humanity. It is the study of humanity. And one of the questions that we deal with as humans, both Christians and non-Christians, ask these questions is just, what does it mean to be human? What is the human condition? And people give all sorts of answers Paul gives us the answer here in the scriptures and he tells us in verse one, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's his assessment. That is a piercing description of the human condition. I don't think we always realize or recognize how penetrating it is for us. Not just bad people in need of reform, not just foolish people who need to become wise, dead people need to be made alive and here's the deal death is not something that comes in degrees you're either dead or you're alive you could pull out the star tribune from this week and you could read the obituary section and you could read about someone who died this past week and then you could find a star tribune newspaper from 20 or 30 years ago you go to the obituary section you could read about somebody who died 30 years ago and the reality is is both of them would be equally dead not more or less dead because it was more recent or less recent. It's, it's equal. There's not degrees of death. And here, what Paul's saying, you were once dead. You're either dead or you're alive. Those are the only two options. And what Paul is saying about our spiritual condition as humans is that we were dead. And he gives us a reason why. Because of our trespasses and our sins. Because of our rebellion against God. That's one way you can think about that. Trespasses is rebellion against God. And because of that, verse three, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so this distinction of dead and alive is important because if we do not accurately assess the problem, if you get a wrong diagnosis, then you will not find the right solution. We will not rightly understand God's solution to our problem. Someone once wrote, Jesus did not come into the world to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Maggie referenced this last week. And it's applicable for us today in our text, because when you think about why you came to church this morning, why you came here on Easter, why you did not just stay home and eat peanut butter filled chocolate eggs, which are my favorite candy on an Easter morning, right? You might wonder if I I could just stay home, if if all I'm here for is just to get some good advice on how to live, or if it's just to come in here about some rules and some regulations about how to live then the reality, I might have stayed home too, if that's all we're after. In fact, you might have been better off just going to the store, getting some Cadbury eggs, and on your way to the register, stopped at the little magazine stand and looked for one that said, here's 10 ways to a happier life. If that's all we're after is good advice. And, and frankly, if that's what we're after, then the cross and the resurrection, they just don't make a whole lot of sense. If all Jesus did was to come and be an example for us on the cross just be a good teacher to give us some wisdom so that we could learn to live a better life, then that just wouldn't make sense. It would be like drowning in a pool and someone walks by. We're crying out for help and they jump in with us, not to save us, but just to drown beside us and be an example of how to drown well. It doesn't make much sense. I'm not getting out of bed on Easter to celebrate that. If I'm drowning, then I don't need someone to give me an example of how to drown. I need someone to provide a solution for my deadness. The reason for the resurrection is not to turn bad people into good people. It is not to turn foolish people into wise people. It is to turn dead people into alive people. And that's why the two words that begin verse 4 are so sweet to our ears. Because Paul has described our condition in verses 1 through 3. And here's a summary of it. You were dead. And because you were dead, you lived under the rule of the world, the devil and your desires. You were a slave to them. And the very things that caused your death, they enslaved you to repeat them. And as a result, you were a child of wrath. That's the condition. But God, God had something to say about it. You were drowning in the pool. Or worse yet, you were dead at the bottom of the pool, but God, he reached into the depths of the water. And it says, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. We were dead, but God made us alive. And that is possible because Jesus died and God made him alive. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we are joined with him in his resurrection. The reason we show up on Easter is not because we need good advice so we can be a good person. It's because we need good news so that we can be made into new and alive persons. And rather than just tell you that this can happen in somebody's life, I thought I would ask someone to actually tell you how it did happen in their life. And so my friend Sarah is going to come up and share her testimony of going from death to life through faith in Jesus.
0: Morning. Um, So my name is Sarah, as Jeremy said. Um, For some background, um, I grew up in the church. Um, My grandpa was the pastor of the church, and then my dad was the worship pastor. Um, So even though I didn't know it at the time, I grew up thinking that my identity was in who I was related to at the church. As I hit high school, I began to lead the youth worship team and then I'd partner alongside my dad on Sundays. In school, I was in band and choir, and then I was on every sport team that the seasons of Wisconsin would allow. Uh, Basketball, track, softball, anything I could to be outside and active. I held all these things so tightly, Um, and then one day for a gym class, we went mountain biking. So on the last trail we went on, uh, my front tire hit a rock. I flipped over the handlebars, I rotated all the ribs ribs on my left side out. I chipped my collarbone and I hit my head. Um, Luckily I was wearing a helmet though, so kids wear your helmets. (laughs) So after that initial trip to the ER, it was a long road of doctors. Um, We joked that I had my own room in the ER with how much I continued to go back as the pain would not get better. Doctors appointments, sometimes multiple times a day, became my new normal. Taking so many pills that it replaced my meals became my new normal. Laying on the couch in the dark due to migraines from hitting my head, struggling to breathe because of my ribs that would not heal became my new normal. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being excruciating pain, being at a consistent eight became my new normal. I watched as my friends started to leave and to their credit they were 14 <laughs> but i love people so this was hard i watched as people took my positions on the sports teams and um, as i saw no end in sight that this would get better i could no longer lead worship team because i could only breathe in small bursts and i couldn't sit up for very long i listened as my parents prayed for what my future would look like would i go to college get married or hold a job I watched thing after thing that I held my worth in be taken from me. But (laughs) as I laid there on that couch, I experienced Jesus in a way I never had before. I became more aware of the physical pain that Jesus endured on the cross for me. That he was whipped, beaten, stabbed in the side for me. It was when I realized I had nothing, that he was all I needed. It was when just breathing became hard that I realized I had to put my trust in him daily to give me strength. In my pain, when I felt like I had lost everything, Jesus met me there and showed me that my worth and my value were in him. That I was dead in my trespasses and my sins, but God being rich in mercy... Because of his great love for me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, he made me alive. So as I look at my life now, the things in my life are a daily reminder that the Lord is faithful. We wondered if I'd be able to go to school, get a job, or get married. And I'm grateful to say that I graduated from Northwestern. I'm at a job I love. Now we married for six years in August. there came a point where I had to make the decision that my chronic pain did not define me, but instead it defined what Jesus had done in me. So yeah, I'm still in pain all the time. But the Lord has healed me to the point where I get to be on worship team again. I get to go to the gym and be active again. And I get to have a community that truly cares for me and is there on the difficult days too. That's you guys. And are there still hard days? Yeah. That wouldn't be a truthful end to this. But I choose to focus and I get to focus on the fact that I'm alive because what the Lord has done in me. I choose daily to focus on the fact that he has promised that he will wipe every tear from my eyes, that there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. One thing I love about Easter is it's a reminder that death is not forever and pain is not forever. But instead, Jesus conquered that death and he conquered that pain on the cross. And he did that for me. (laughs) He did that for you.
1: Thank you, Sarah. What a beautiful reminder of what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. As you hear Sarah's story, like her, like the author of this letter, Paul, like the Ephesians who he is writing to, we can go from death to life. Now that we've established the reason for the resurrection, I want to talk about our response to the resurrection. And I want to ask a question. Do you... Have a story like Sarah's. And when I ask that question, I don't, I don't mean just like hers. Everybody's story is unique. But do you have a story that includes the reality that you were dead, and now, with confidence in Jesus, you know that you're alive? Is that your story? Another way of asking this that we don't always think about is just a simple question: Are you a Christian? Do you follow Jesus? Are you alive? And like the fact that there are not degrees to death, there are also not degrees to being alive. And so the answer to the question, am I a Christian, do I follow Jesus, am I alive, is not a sort of type of answer. It's not even just a, well, on Sundays I am type of answer. But based on what we're reading here, we can say that everyone in this room, everyone, is either dead or alive. Those are the options. They've either put their faith in Jesus, or they have not. And at this point, you might be even asking questions about your own story then. You might look back and wonder, am I a Christian or not? Some of you might have th- this exact moment in your life where you know, this is the day I put my faith in Jesus. Others of you don't have a date, but you know, like, I've, I've, it's true of me right now. Some of you maybe are still wondering, But the question about when faith began is not the same question as knowing that it began. The question of, are you a Christian, is not the same question as, when did you become one? And my concern for you this morning is that you know you are alive, whether or not you know when it started. If you can say with confidence, my faith is in Jesus and I am alive, which is why the second point today is our response to the resurrection. Because if you're starting to buy into the reality that the resurrection matters, that it is better that you are here on Easter, that you can be alive in Christ, and hearing that is better than hearing about how you can be a good person through a magazine at the market, then the next question you have to ask is, well, what do I do about it? If I am dead and I want to be made alive, what is my response? So let's look at our text again. In verses 4 through 5, we see that because of God's mercy, he has made us alive together with Christ. And then we get this phrase at the end of verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And this clues us into how we should respond. Because we are saved or made alive by grace. Let me define grace for us. In some ways, it's kind of a simple word. In other ways, it's just a profound and remarkably deep word. But very simply, grace means unmerited favor. And what that means is there's a kindness and a mercy from God. This is his favor. In this case, being made alive when we were once dead. That is God's kindness and mercy. And it's given to us by grace, unmerited. We didn't merit it. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn that grace. And then jumping down to verse 8, we actually see this line repeated right at the beginning of verse 8. It tells us how we're supposed to respond there. For by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Here's what Paul's saying. You were dead, but you were made alive through Jesus. And the way that it happens is by grace through faith. And he even goes so far as then to explain that it's not by anything you did. He wants to make sure they can't add to it. They didn't earn it. It's not a result of their works. There's nothing they can do to supersede or add to or change the grace of God. It is a free gift. There's no boasting here, no need for pride. And the response to the resurrection uh, through faith here is this is important thing to know about faith. It's not even just how confident you are in that faith. It's not the measure of your faith that saves you, but the object of your faith. It is that our faith is in Jesus, not how confident you are in that faith. And through faith in him, you can go from death death. To life. You might be wondering why you came to church today. And I believe that God brought you here so that you can see that Jesus makes dead people alive and that through faith in Him, that can be your story as well. What you need today is to see Jesus, not to be given rules, not to be given advice. Because if I give you rules and advice over and over again, one of two things will happen. When when we start to think that the primary message of Christianity is to be good and wise people, we will either be crushed under the weight of expectation. It will create one more way that you feel like you're failing, one more way for you to be rejected by your deadness, or the alternative is you'll become arrogant and prideful because you can get good at being good. You might become prideful because you have found yourself to be wise. And we'll start to think that we had something to do with how we became alive. Paul's concerned about that, so he addresses it. He wants you to know it was not your works. You did not do it, lest you be prideful and arrogant. You cannot add to the grace of God. And I was reminded of this this past week recently by a pastor named Alistair Begg. He's a Scottish pastor in Ohio. And I love listening to Alistair, at least in part because of his Scottish accent. I wish I had a Scottish accent. I'd get out of bed just to listen to that, you know? But when he referenced our answer to this diagnostic question that sometimes gets asked, it was really helpful. Here's this question that gets asked. I remember getting asked this question. If you were to die today and you were asked why you should gain entry into heaven, what would you say? That question changed my life because my initial answer to the question was, well, I, I follow Jesus and I go to church and I'm kind, and I lead a Bible study, and so on and so forth, and I listed these things. And the person just patiently responded to me, why do you need more than Jesus? Well, this week I heard Alistair say that if the first thing we say in response to that question is in the first person, then we're not answering it correctly. If the first way we answer is, because I because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this or that, because I am committed, because I've kept the faith. The only proper answer to the question begins in the third person, because he, but God. And then Alistair led us down this thought experiment about the thief on the cross. And he just kind of began to think about, can you imagine what this question was like for him? Wouldn't it be nice to kind of go ask him someday how that all shook out for him, as he got to those gates and had to answer this question? Obviously, it's hypothetical. I don't think we're going to have to answer the question, but you think about this thief, right? He's at one point, cussing out Jesus with his friend. The next point, putting faith into him. Not never baptized. Wouldn't have understood justification by faith through gra- or by grace through faith. He wouldn't have understood. Probably didn't know anything about church membership. Never been in a Bible study, and yet he made it. He's there. Now imagine for him, he arrives at the gate and the angel's there asking him, what, what are you doing here? And he's saying, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I got here. And the angel says, well, well no, like, why are you here? And he said, I, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. And he says, well, let me go get the supervisor angel. So he gets the supervisor angel, comes over, and then the supervisor says, um, what are you doing here? And the man says, the thief says, you know, I already told him, I don't know. I don't know how I got here. And then the supervisor angel says, okay, we're gonna get right to it. He says, okay, do you understand justification by grace through faith? And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, okay, um, okay, what about the doctrine of scripture? What's your doctrine of scripture? And he says, I, I don't have one. I don't know. And he says, well, okay. The, the supervisor angel's getting frustrated now. And he says, on what basis are you here? And he says, I, I don't know. What I do know Is the man on the middle cross? He said I could come. That's why I'm here. He said I could be here. Loved ones, that's the only answer that matters. That is the only answer that we can give. But God, rich in mercy, made us alive through Jesus. What you need on Easter, more than anything else, is to be reminded That once you were dead, but now you are alive. That's the answer. The perfect and sinless one. He died and was made alive so that we could join him in his eternal kingdom in the resurrection. The only response is faith in Jesus because of God's grace. Now, some of you here, this is the first time you've heard this. Some of you have heard it, but you've never believed it. Some of you walked in here as dead people walking. Well, here's the deal. You don't have to walk out dead. You can walk out alive. It's the beauty of this gospel. You don't have to leave today not knowing whether you're dead or alive. And I would encourage you today, talk to somebody. If you feel that right now, if you feel God's spirit stirring in your heart, and you're saying, I want to be alive. I want to have faith like that. And I don't know what that looks like. After the service day, we're going to have a team of people right along this wall over here who are going to pray for you. Frankly, if you need prayer for anything, you can go join them. But specifically this, if you want to know how you can be made alive through faith in Jesus, go talk with one of them. Have a conversation. Pray with them. Ask the questions that you have. And may you leave alive, even if you walked in with a dead spiritual state. Now, the third thing I want to talk about today is the results of the resurrection. I want to highlight two of the results from our passage. The first is seen in verse 6. We have a new identity. We live with a new reality. Because we've been made alive with Christ, we also, as it says in verse 6, are raised up with him and are seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, to understand what that means, we need to go back to verses 20 and 21 from chapter 1 where Paul says that the same thing is true of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. God seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And now Paul is saying the same thing about us who have put our faith in Jesus, whom God has made alive. We have been raised with Jesus. We've been seated with him in the heavenly places. We are united with Christ right now. Paul's using the same language for us because this is our identity. Now, these are past tense verbs, right? This already happened for those who have been made alive in Christ. And this, is, this has massive implications for our life here and now because what God has done in your life, that is your identity now. You are no longer dead but alive if you're in Christ. You're no longer a slave to the world or the devil. You've been raised and seated above them with Christ. You are no longer striving to earn what God has already declared is true about you in Jesus. Now, let me paint you a picture of what the average person in America thinks about the message of Easter and the message of religion in general. This is their assessment. Humans are generally good people, but at times we do bad things. Our problem is that the world tempts us and we're not always strong enough to resist it. But if only we discovered the right way to live, then we would be okay. And so then the conclusion is that we go to church to learn rules and regulations and wisdom that religion offers. Also, we can strive to be a better person and earn entrance into the kingdom. This is the assumption about the religious message. So the narrative that many of us are kind of inundated with, that some of you live under right now, is that. But what happens when we're not good enough? What happens when you do all the right things and still you suffer in the world? What happens when you get that job that you thought was going to bring you fulfillment and it turns out to be another dead-end project? What happens when all the religion and the rules and the advice that you thought was going to save you It's not worth anything, and your world is crumbling around you. What I just described to you is religion. It is not the message of Jesus. It is not the message of Easter. It is not what we have come here to celebrate. It is not the hope of the resurrection. Let me give you even one more just insidious way that this works itself out, even for those who have trusted in Christ. Some of us have internalized a message that we were made alive by the grace of God through faith, but now we have to stay alive by our own good works. No, that is not what it's saying. That's not the picture we get here. That's not who you are. What Paul has said, that's your identity. You were raised, you are seated, you are alive. That's who you are. These are past tense, so rest in the past tense resurrection. Rest in the past tense reality that you've been raised and seated with Christ, and you can rest from your present tense striving. The second result is that we have good works to do. Verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God did not save you because of your good works, but he did save you so that you could do good works. We are his workmanship, his beautiful creation, his masterpiece, his handiwork. And in Christ, he prepared good works for us to do. Sometimes this can get confusing. What's the order? Well, Paul makes it really clear here. Faith in Jesus, made alive by grace through faith, then good works follow. And if we preach a radical grace that we are saved entirely by grace and only through grace, then people will start to get scared of that. They'll tell you that it's dangerous to preach this radical grace because they'll have concerns that some will presume upon this grace. They'll take advantage of God's grace. And I would just say, if we are not preaching a gospel that is so radical and so free that it makes people uncomfortable sometimes, we're not preaching the gospel of Jesus. But the picture we get from the Bible is the sort of grace that saves us it will result in a changed life. It can't not. It will transform us. And we will do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. And this is the paradigm that Paul uses. And it's really important to get in our head because we will not understand the letter of Ephesians if we don't. This is the way Paul is going to talk about our response to the identity he's been working us through here in these first few chapters. Chapters four through six of Ephesians is all about the application of this good news. And Paul does so by appealing to our new identity. He's going to say that because of who you are in Christ now, your former way of living, the works of the flesh, they just don't make sense for you anymore. It just doesn't make sense. It's not who you are anymore. Put on the character of Christ, he's going to say, because that's who you are now. You are in Christ through faith. Doesn't it make sense that your life would reflect Christ and produce the fruit of Christ's spirit? To be a Christian and not do good works would be like becoming a married person, but living like a single one, or like calling yourself an environmentalist and going about littering all the time, right? It just, people would say it just doesn't make sense. That's how good works fit into the life of a believer. You are alive in Christ. That is your identity. It just doesn't make sense that we would live like that's not true, God has saved you, and when he did, he saved you with a purpose in mind. You have something good to contribute to the world. You are ambassador of peace and joy in this world. That's who you are now. Not in order to be made spiritually alive, but because you are. Not in order to stay spiritually alive, but because you are in Christ. You are alive. Churches throughout history have told jokes on Easter As a reminder that Easter is a day of joy and celebration and victory. God won. And he pulled the ultimate trick on the evil one. Because the one who died on the cross, he was made alive. And today we are all reminded that we can be made alive with Jesus in him. That's why the resurrection matters. That's why we're here on Easter. That's why we got out of bed this morning. To be reminded that once you were dead, but God. God. Because of his great love and mercy, he has made you alive. That is the greatest news. And no good advice will ever be better than that good news.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.